Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what will be the impact of self-driving cars? Uh, so we know that self-driving cars are coming. That's not news to anybody. Google's been working on uh, their project for many years uh, publicly now, and uh, we've gotten uh, some announcements from other companies. So we just thought we'd take a podcast today and talk about you know, what are the cultural and um, uh, wider impacts going to be of this technology coming online in the future? Right, because depending on who you talk to, I mean, this is somewhere between three years and 20 years off. These things are going to be hitting the market, hitting yeah, the roads. 20 years seems like that's late. And three years seems honestly a little soon to me. So what, if we kind of go in the middle there, say 10, I think that's, you know, a reasonably good median guess. But uh, when they do come out, uh, there are some obvious consequences, obviously, uh, you know, certain types of drivers might be out of work, but then there's some maybe less obvious consequences. And we're going to try to just think through as many of those as we possibly can in an attempt to be be comprehensive about all the possible societal impacts. Right. Now, obviously, the first place that we should start is just why are they building these things in the first place, right? The, the whole impetus of having autonomous cars is that, you know, if we put computers in charge, we'll have fewer accidents. I think that's the most important reason to do this. Um, and that's, I mean, that's... Uh, been the stated reason for doing it. And uh, I think the estimate that I've heard is 30,000 people die in uh, highway, uh, you know, in uh, car related accidents um, in the United States every year. So those lives could be saved if we get everybody into uh, computer driven cars. Didn't Sebastian Thrun lose somebody important to him in a car accident? That was, I mean, he's obviously been a major uh, researcher in this field. Right. In the TED talk that he introduced the project in, I think it's like the first public introduction of the, of the self-driving car project. He tells that story of like uh, losing, um, I don't know, I forget whether it was his father or somebody, but. Right. So, I mean, yeah, um, this is the most, I think, emotionally charged, uh, motivation behind getting this done is is all the lives you could save now um obviously that's wonderful we'll have more people uh th- surviving and that thriving alive yeah Hopefully. always always yes. like alive people always a positive thing uh-huh but uh there's some other interesting i think side effects of fewer accidents right, right. if you really think through what happens when there are fewer accidents one thing that was painfully uh, obvious if you live in in our neighborhood where there are very many of these is that you're gonna have a lot less need for body shops. Right. Uh, body shops uh, where people, you know, repair uh, the exteriors of cars that have been in accidents. Um, you'll have a little bit of people wanting to spiff up their cars, I guess, or um, obviously some people will still drive cars. But if there's a lot fewer accidents, there's going to be a lot fewer people working in body shops. And that does seem to be a pretty substantial employer in our neighborhood of Los Angeles. Yes. I mean, at least here, and this is obviously a very car-centric uh, city, Um there are a lot of those places, and it does seem to be uh, what a lot of people do for a living. Uh, another impact that uh, we talked about, which is related to this, is if there are fewer accidents, there's going to be a lot less need for car insurance. Yeah. Would, on the surface, you would say if it's safer, um, there's less risk, and the rates should be able to go down. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Well, so obviously, you can't, you won't be able to stop buying insurance. I didn't mean to imply that. Uh uh, because that's, of course, regulated. Uh, the government demands that you buy car insurance. So that would require regulatory change. So yeah. basically, whoever owns these cars, and we'll talk a little bit more about ownership in a second, but whoever owns these cars is still going to have to insure them. But yeah, you would assume that a car that gets into many fewer accidents and has specific technologies that have been tested to prevent accidents, basically, would get a extremely lower insurance rate, right? Which means that insurance companies would be taking in 
a lot less in premiums and possibly making less in profits as well. Yeah, I mean, you might we might lose some of the insurance providers because in, if that gets really competitive uh, and they're you know underselling each other, right? They may just exit the market. I mean, it's an interesting question because uh, you would assume that they would adjust their prices such that the amount of premium they're taking in, like the thing is that they're going to pay out a lot less too with these cars. Exactly. They're gonna, well, that's how they can afford to lower. So the they rates, can yeah. lower the rates and maybe still stay in business because the government's going to require the insurance. Uh, but maybe after many years of just uh, paying for insurance and never having to uh, cash in on it, you know, whoever it is who owns the cars might uh, demand that the government change that law. It's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure exactly how it'll go, but I definitely think it'll change the nature of auto insurance from how it is now. Doesn't seem like auto insurance would be a growth industry. It seems like uh, like body shops, it would uh, decrease in importance. Right. It might be like a government uh, protected, you know, safe zone, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a growth. Sure. That's right. Yeah. So that's those are all side effects of fewer accidents. Another thing is this is still sort of in the fairly obvious category, but fewer drivers, right? And uh, we'll start with, the first thing on everybody's mind, which is that there will be some unemployment that will most likely follow in like various... Like directly. Yeah. Un- unemployment people just directly, where they used to drive a car, they will no right. longer drive it. So we're talking about truck drivers, cab drivers, limo drivers, school bus drivers, uh, delivery vehicle drivers like UPS. Um, yes. Or, or even maybe postal workers, uh, pizza delivery, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Those right. drivers, those people who's part of their job description is driver, you know, something, something driver. Sure. Uh, those people are going to all stop being employed uh, more or less overnight, I think. I mean, I mean unless as soon as these things get affordable. Unless they're really amazing conversationalists or something. I mean, I don't know, like, it, it's hard to imagine any fringe case scenario where you'd keep one of these people around. Honestly, still. an amazing conversationalist is like a negative in most of these jobs. It, it just seems like, yeah. honestly, the quickest... You know, uh, the truck drivers seem like the most in danger to me because they're already at the limits of human capability. You know, they're being asked to do long hours and they have a lot of uh, health problems as a result of uh, what they do. So I think, you know, they're they're out, you know, Um, and I think uh, uh, something like a school bus, I could see the school maybe putting the money they used to spend on a school bus driver and putting it on to a a bus monitor who can actually pay attention to the kids. Which they probably have bus monitors anyways, but you might... That might be. But oftentimes that's a parent volunteer or sure. something. I mean, it depends where you are. But uh, but bus monitors do exist. You're right. Uh, but that monitor could be. They uh, could repurpose money in that direction. Exactly. Uh, what where that saved money goes. Um, so maybe a human being still has a job in that case. It's just not driving the vehicle. Uh, but um, a lot of these people, I think, they're just going to be automated right out. So that's obviously a serious concern. Uh, I don't have numbers in front of me of um, you know how many people constitute the entire driving economy in say the United States but I imagine it's millions of people you know 10 million or something people it's be my ballpark guess it's pretty significant so and a lot of those people are unionized too so you know that their employers are going to want to drop them all at once <laughs> uh, <laughs> rather than piecemeal when they can strike <laughs> right that whole situation could get ugly and and relatively quickly and uh I think the next step from that is that when you if you do fire all those people or get rid of all those people, then you've just made everything a lot cheaper because now you're not paying these people, right? So right. Well, transportation is a huge input to the cost of lots of things. So yeah, that's going to make all kinds of things cheaper. Right, and now you're maintaining the vehicle, you're paying for fuel, uh, you have those expenses, but you don't have a major expense, which is paying the actual human to pilot the thing. So you've just right. cut your costs a lot, and that makes... You know, with the cheaper transportation, that's going to have a lot of impact on a wide range of businesses. 
Um, I think delivery is like an interesting place to start, right? Like, um, right. But I mean, almost everything requires long haul trucking. So if long haul trucking, uh, so it might bring costs down across the board gets to be cheaper, um, because of this. Yeah. You could see everything from, uh, grocery stores to electronics to, to literally everything that they sell in a store could just drop in price. Uh, you know, it might actually help some local stores uh, compete with online prices uh, because they could probably get a lot closer to it. You know, transportation, I think, is a lot of their cost. Yes. Well, and also local stores can expand the range of which they can sell to. So, you know, that makes them not so local anymore. Yeah. But I um, guess on the other hand, your internet sellers can now dispatch delivery vehicles to you, right? And uh, you could order something online and it could be delivered directly to you. Uh, with no postal service middleman. Right. See, I, I'm of two minds on this. So, so th- that yeah. actually, it helps both sides compete in, in an interesting yeah, way. Yeah, that's what, yeah. sort of where I was going to go. Because like, yeah. obviously, the, the first thought is, that, well, Amazon. Okay, so Amazon's already, you right. know, They're selling. They're doing their uh, delivery drone experiments already, right? Right. Yeah. And that's that's drones. That's not even cars, which is crazy. But well, forgetting that for a second, um, you have Amazon. Uh, they're already selling every type of product under the sun. If now they're able to deliver that super cheaply, it seems like they're going to just defeat everybody else in the market. But at the same time, I think that it, you know, like you said, it makes it cheaper for the small business too, in a way to get started. So I think that, so they can find a way to somehow differentiate themselves or get a product that Amazon can't get or something. They can actually compete. Right. Or if I just like, I have a niche product that I want to sell and get to consumers. I don't necessarily have to like work with the same chain of distributors necessarily. There might be uh, a cheaper option to go with in right. this case. Right. So uh, that's interesting. It's Although, hard to see if this democratizes or concentrates. Uh, in terms, we're right. talking about the you know sort of the pow- retail yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I, the the article that I did see about the Amazon drone experiments. I think they have like a six mile radius. So what they'd be talking about is taking a truck to the center of a delivery area. It opens up and like a swarm of these drones exits the truck and goes and delivers the individual packages and then returns to the truck. That sounds is very like cool to watch. It sounds like minority report stuff. It's awesome. But, um, you know, it, a self-driving truck would actually be, I think a, a key cost saving element of that strategy. If they end up finding that that's feasible, that's interesting. I mean, it could even, they could come back to the truck, pick up new things. The truck could move to the next six mile radius and do it again. You know, I mean, right. Until they run out of things on the truck, but trucks are big. So, the other thing is that if we want to talk, talk about the impact on jobs that, you know, this puts further pressure on retail outlets uh, yep. and I think possibly forces even more of them to close. I mean, if they're not adding a great customer experience that justifies walking in the door, I mean, I, I think we're already seeing the death of many types of retail, but right. this may accelerate yeah. that process. Right. Even this faster. is another thing that uh, makes it more compelling to order online from even more things. And uh, while it does, I think, give some edge to local uh, businesses who figured out a way to compete, it's another way it's going to contribute, I think, to technological unemployment is by reducing need for retail, reducing need for uh, delivery personnel, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to talk about like online retail in general versus brick and mortar retail, it feels like there's there's three things that brick and mortar retail still has. Okay, right? what are the three things? Right, one of which is no shipping costs. Yep. Right. Number two is just generally better customer service. Yep. And number three is you can you can try things on. You can touch it. And you can touch it. Yeah. Like to Which be for more some yeah. things is you really want to touch them. You know, but a lot of things doesn't matter. But this com- may completely defeat one of those three things in in the case of the shipping costs mm-hmm. uh, by massively lowering that to where it may be pretty negligible. Right. And if you can do drone d- 
delivery and pickup, then you can really take a bite out of the second thing too. Because if you get something delivered to you uh, sight unseen and you know you need customer service, you need to take it back, exchange it for something else or something. It if might you be don't cheaper to, for them to do a return policy that's that's generous. If you don't have to go to the post office or go to the store to return it and like a drone can come to your house and pick up the box that you left out for it uh, and read the label on it you know, and you get your refund then that's pretty good customer service. They could probably compete on that level. Wanting to touch it is is what it is. And I think there'll always be showrooms of some kind where you go to touch things because I think some things you just want to touch. I mean, until you can print out a sample at home. Right, right. Right? I mean, then, but that's a much further that's benchmark. That's a much, much yeah. further time when, you know, you can print out anything and then you print out a little bit to see if you like it or something. But yeah, I mean, that seems like something that some things are going to always be able to be sold at retail for that reason. Uh, another thing that's an impact of fewer drivers uh, uh, needed is the possibility of getting rid of traditional car ownership. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, ownership. so one model is, okay, maybe you still own it, but maybe you share ownership of a car with like five other people because maybe all right. of you only use it to get to and from work and occasionally on vacations. And since you're not maybe all needing the car at the same time, and since the car now can freely of its own volition you know, drop you off at your job and then go pick someone else up and take them to their job, you know, without anyone needing to get it from place to place. Right. It becomes a lot easier to carpool right. and to basically car share. Right. So that's the Zipcar uh, like model, but taken to the self-driving car technology. And you can see how that would make Zipcar work for many more people than it currently works for, uh, where you pretty much have to live on the same block as your, you know, Zipcar partners these days for it to be of any use. Uh, in like a dense city where there's lots of folks. This solves together. a bunch of the logistics, but but yeah. this yeah, this would solve a lot of the logistics. I think that's interesting. Um, to be honest, I don't think that that's going to be the major model of ownership, though. Right. I well, really there's another level beyond that. It's going to be the next level beyond that, which is yeah, that it's going to be basically centralized ownership by um, commercial concerns. It's going to be like taxis. The model is going to be like taxis, and the only difference is going to be there's a lot more of them. They're going to be a lot cheaper to use. So maybe you have a subscription to the taxi service or maybe you pay per ride a, sh a small amount or, or I don't know how exactly it works, um, but it's the Uber Lyft model where you hit a button on your cell phone. It sends your location directly to the car. The car comes and gets you, uh, dings when it's there. You get in, you go where you're going, and then you get out. And it's a different car every time. It's a different car every time. It get, periodically gets cleaned and goes and charges itself. Exactly. When it gets low, it charges itself. We'll talk about fuel later. But uh, it, it basically, it's centrally owned and centrally dealt with. So you don't have to pay the insurance. Somebody else is paying it, whoever owns the car. You pay, you know, your little fee for, uh, for using it for the amount of time you use it. And that's the thing about car ownership is that car ownership now is so inefficient. Everybody's car is sitting there, you know, 80% of the time. And the only reason there is anything like Uber or Zipcar is because people's cars are idle. So these startups are trying to figure out, well, how can we, you know, solve the, you know, use the idle time and, and solve a problem for people. And they come up with all these problems because the cars don't drive themselves. So somebody has to be driving the car and get paid for that. Or somebody has to live near you so you can share it or something. But it solves all those problems. And we've got all these idle cars so what I think it's going to do if uh, self-driving cars really take off in the way that, um, say, Google envisions, um, is I think it's going to actually drastically shrink the market for new cars. Um, yes, I agree with that. And that and itself has a weird impact on so uh, businesses that, and well, right. employment. And, and, yeah. that, and talking about, you know, last week we talked about technological 
determinism and cultural determinism. And one of the ways that I think our culture can really uh, put its thumb down on our technological capabilities is when it threatens a big business's bottom line. And, you know, if I were working at uh, uh, GM or Ford right now, I'm not sure I'd be able to see past my own interests and realize how threatening this is going to be to um, to their apparent growth. I mean, they don't have much company. choice, though, because they at no, this point they have, to, they <laughs> have to get ahead of this curve. I mean, you know, what might be happening now, and, and time will tell, is that the car companies are going to compete, and somebody's going to win and be the premier, or maybe probably a few companies will win and be the premier provider of these, you know, self-driving taxis that large numbers of people use. Right while car ownership writ large, like massively drops. Um, right. So there will be some big winners and there'll be a lot of losers. Right. And right now is when that battle's probably already starting to be fought. Exactly. At least if they're thinking about this clearly. Exactly. And if I were Uber or Lyft or a traditional taxi company, um, like uh, United or whatever, one of the taxi companies, I would be uh, already implementing a plan to buy literally as many self-driving cars as whoever could get them to me as quickly as possible. Uh, because I think you want to be the provider of that service. And I think you're absolutely right. If I were an automaker now, what I'd be thinking is volume is going to go down. There's no way around that. The only way to make it up is by making the market global. So you got to basically sell these self-driving cars to places that don't even have cars, you know, that pl- places where, you know, car ownership is low. Uh, to place it, you got to sell them everywhere. You got to sell them all over the world in order right. to make up the kind of numbers that we used to sell of individual cars that sat in driveways in America. Well, and there's maybe on the other side of this completely a room for like, you know, a few niche providers to make, you know, really high end cars for people who do want to own, you know, that are, that are catering to that much smaller market. Of course, market. as there is now, uh, you know, um, you know, there's you can get a Lotus for a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Right. Really fancy sports car, something like that. Yeah, and there'll be fancy cars that you can drive, and also fancy cars that you can't drive that you can own. I'm sure. You know, you know that that that'll definitely exist as a niche. But I think as far as mass market car selling and ownership goes, uh, self-driving cars are going to blow it up. And it's, uh, you know, I'm of the same mind on that. Yeah. If I were a car maker, I'd be deeply worried about that. And I'd be trying, I'd be coming up with a strategy and trying to implement it now. And of course, Google doesn't Um, care because they're just selling the operating system to whoever wins. I mean, they're giving the operating system away to whoever wins. They just want everybody. They're just want everybody who's using a self-driving car to be using their system. So they know where they're driving to. And they're going to sell that information to advertisers. Sure. Sure. Right. And I mean, you know, that's the thing is that Google's in this they don't need to make any money off it. They can completely ruin your business, Ford, <laughs> you know, or whomever, yeah. uh, Mazda, whoever you are. Uh, they can totally eat your lunch and it won't matter a dime to them. No, they're getting a bunch of eyeballs off the road and onto their and onto sponsors. Their screens. Like, yeah. <laughs> if, the, if the people don't have to drive, they can look at their phones and see ads. It's really a huge win for them. I mean, <laughs> and then, of course they know this. Of yeah. course. I mean, there's a reason why they're the people putting all the money into it. This is something where, yeah, the the car makers are in a between a rock and a hard place here, where they're basically being asked to uh, write their own death checks, and I think they're going to have to do it. I don't think they're going to have any choice. Now, another consequence of fewer drivers is uh, increased mobility for people who can't drive, and I'm thinking, first of all, the inebriated, drunk people. Of I mean, course. if you want to talk about why Uber does well, it's not just because your car's idle; it's because you know. People are drunk and they need to get home. People are drunk. It's true. All <laughs> right. over the world, people are drunk and they need to get home. And they uh, need to get home and they s- don't want to die. Uh, well, it might change co- uh, social norms about um, intoxication. Sure. You know? 
Because right now we look down on people who are wasted because we think, oh, that person's going to get in a car and drive home. Or at least that's something I think of when I see people it's leaving a bar. It's one the biggest consequences to being drunk right now. So and when you take that off the table, it's like, oh, you could just sort of shove your, your friend in the car and, and they can like drunkenly slap the button that like has a house drawn on it yeah, and it takes and, uh, them home. The, uh, you know, the uh, example that proves this is uh, a couple of, Cities that have excellent public transit that I've spent some time in, uh, New York City and Tokyo, both big drinking cities, and they have uh, laws that are much more permissive about drinking in those cities. Their bars stay open later. Um, they, you know, in Japan, they you can buy a beer in a vending machine. Right, right. You know, I mean, they just don't care as much if you're publicly drunk. Open because, container laws and stuff uh, might change. Because you're more likely to uh, get on a bus or a, a train. And then you can't kill anybody. So if the third type of transportation has uh, the advantage that buses and trains currently have, that you don't have to drive it, then uh, this is going to drastically reduce, I think, the the social stigma against that. Right. Um, But it won't just be good for drunk people. It'll also be good for people who are too young or too old to drive. Right. And for young people, uh, this will be a, a tremendous benefit. Uh, also for their parents, right? Who will no longer have to drive them Like places. cart them around everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the if a family ju- car can cart them around or the, uh, you know, if it turns out uh, that there are no family cars, then they can just take a taxi just like their uh, parents are doing. Yeah. Just send them off to school and no problem. Right. Uh, and, you know, for the elderly, you know, many of them, you know, are deemed no longer safe to drive at a certain point and or uh, not deemed no right. longer safe to drive and they're still no driving anyway. Not, yes, that is a big problem that could just completely be solved by the cars driving themselves and then nobody has to feel like they're having their license taken away and being shut because up. Because we're all having room. our license taken away in a sense. I right, mean, <laughs> right. And I, I do believe that we should, as soon as we can prove that these things are better than humans, I don't think they have to be perfect. I don't think they have to be near perfect. I think they have to be demonstrably better than humans and no no better than that and i think we should immediately ban all of us from driving because uh, we're clearly not set up to be moving at 60 miles an hour I agree. We, don't, we don't have the senses for it i mean it takes all of my attention to just not get in a deadly accident every time i leave the house well and it'll be interesting to see which communities uh adopt those types of policies yeah first. i'm gonna move I will move to a city that does that. Like if, if they don't do it here and they do it somewhere else, I would move. I mean, I feel like it would drastically increase your chances of living. I mean, this might be a, <laughs> I mean, a little, that'd be a seriously rational choice. Yeah. I mean, we sort of indirectly last week touched on the issue of, you know, people being more pro or, or anti-technology. This will be possibly very revealing of like what might be a new sort of dividing line for people in the future, which is, you know, what type of person is willing to, or type of group, or right, it'll be a, political sort of ideology, or, right. or geographical region, right. is willing to give up some of their autonomy to machines for the sake of safety, and which areas and groups and ideologies aren't. So it'll be interesting to see how that falls, right? Because I, I can't think of a similar issue that is so clearly either pro or anti-technology that, you know isn't wrapped up in religion and isn't wrapped up in, you know, traditional conservative liberal ideology and isn't wrapped up in some of these other things. It seems like a very pure sort of referendum on how do you feel about technology, this issue, right? So Yeah, I feel like the only sort of muddying influence in this is just um, the history of car marketing (laughs) that I think has had a cultural impact. Right. Where there'll be certain people who just are very reluctant to give up the wheel 
because it's been marketed to them as the symbol of freedom. <laughs> well, and all the Western style, you know, names like sort of very American frontiersy. Yeah, the Silverado kind of or something. Names that yeah, we yeah, apply yeah. to cars yeah. that kind of play into that sort of like yeah. idea. So yeah, that might be revealing sort I, of about I feel where like this goes. that's going to muddy this a little bit. There'll be people who aren't, aren't anti-technology so much as just uh, they're, they buy into that marketing. But I think that we're actually not going to see like much revolt about this. I think it'll happen faster some places, slower other places. Um, but I don't think that we're going to find that people at the end of the day feel like they're yielding too much with regard to uh, self-driving cars. Like I had an interesting conversation on the internet box with uh, Phil Smith the other day on, on the G plus about uh, trains and stuff. And he was saying that he didn't think I basically made the point that, well, if you don't like, being a passenger, you're not going to like self-driving cars. And he said he didn't think he'd mind it because he was telling it where to go, you know, because uh, because it would be responsive to his... That's a good point. No, I, I thought it was a good point. That's why I brought it up. And, you know, I think it, that is a little different from, say, how a train works. Uh, if a train is going where you want to go, then it's sort of the same thing. But if not, then it's not. No, and you can get angry at a train. So. It can be late, you know. Yeah, it can be late. I mean, you know. Like, it is out of your control in a way that this right. ostensibly would be more in your control. Uh, so, I think, you know, again, this comes to, down to interface design and how they work and how in control we feel in them. Some people will be willing to take the leap quicker than others, but I don't think it's we're going to find, like, there's places where people still drive their cars in, you know, 40 years or something. Okay, so uh, another consequence of fewer drivers yeah. um, is that other types of vehicles beyond just you know, the passenger uh, cars that we're thinking of here right. uh, are going to be influenced by this technology, right. which what? is a right. more generalized technology you can think of that, you know, is able to steer around obstacles, follow complex traffic laws, right. uh, avoid people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so that applies to some other areas. Right, right. And we also, of course, already have um, unmanned aerial drones. So, you know, uh, in two and three dimensions, we can get uh, computers to move around in space now. And what that means is a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, um, uh, trains and buses and planes are all going to benefit from this. They'll all be able to get rid of their conductors and pilots and uh, 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 drivers. Um, which is well underway. And which is well underway and actually as in some ways ahead of, of cars, at least um, on, on the aerospace front. Uh, but uh, that's going to change cost structures there and it's more jobs that'll be uh, eliminated and I also think some of the more esoteric kinds of vehicles that we use might get affected, like construction vehicles, for example, you know, dump trucks, cement mixers. Uh, these things are dangerous and they're big and they're real necessary for building stuff. And I don't think it would be too crazy to imagine uh, a self-driving uh, cement mixer, for example, that just goes into the site and uh, is controlled, you know, maybe remote controlled by uh, uh, somebody further away or is just, um, you know, reading uh, designs off of a computer and lays your cement for you or something like forklift. that. Forklift. A forklift. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of those um, uh, like backhoe type machines that, yeah. uh, you know, eats the ground up, looks like a dinosaur. It takes a, a well-paid, uh, well-trained, um, you know, construction worker to run one of those right now, but it might not in, in 10 or 15 or 20 years. Implying that there's even um, more jobs that are affected here. Yeah, um, than you're maybe thinking of. Right. Um, because those are kind of non-standard vehicles, but they're built on existing, uh, you know, like diesel truck platforms and stuff. So once trucks are driving themselves, it seems like it's reasonable to assume that'll that'll carry over. At the very least, the job will start getting more abstract for the uh, person running the machine. And it might 
even get to the point where the person doesn't need to be in the machine, just needs to sort of be able to see it or see through sure. its cameras or something, which means you could get operators from across the world. You could, you know, you could change the price structure. True, true. Yeah, you it's can a, do this it just imagine it, it really could open up, I think, uh, some serious uh, cost savings in construction, which has been a place that's been basically immune to cost savings until now. Well, and there's um, other trends that are going to affect cheaper construction, but right, like there's a, definitely overlap with this type of technology that can navigate uh, and follow rules. There's definitely going to be overlap, I think, in the construction field. Right, right. Because they also are trying to like 3D print houses, but right now that's still like, they are a very specialized kind of house that you can do that way. There's a lot of structures you can't build that way at this point. Uh, like if you need steel rebar, you, need sure. to, you know. There, you can't do that at this point with the, the, the like 3D printing rigs, but you could do it with maybe like an army of, you know, self-driving construction vehicles. Right. Which is a pretty cool image. <laughs> Again, all this stuff would be so fun to watch, but okay. Um, yeah. Let's, so let's move on. So we've talked about the effects of fewer accidents and the effects of fewer drivers. Now right. we're going to talk about the effect of compressing space and maybe making the world closer together because again, you've sort of eliminated one of the costs to transportation uh, which is that these long drives are now less bad. You don't have to be focused for them. You don't have to be paying attention. You're, there's less risk involved. Right. You can do something else while you're being transported. Right. Um, and all those... You're taking like a lot of the good elements of uh, like rail travel, basically, or bus right. travel and, and putting them into passenger cars. People will tolerate much longer train journeys generally than car journeys uh, because you can do other things and you're not driving the train. So we can assume that same kind of behavior... So oh, it makes a commute less cars. bad. So that may sure. make it more okay for you to live further from your job. I mean, an hour-long commute back and forth in a car makes your life significantly worse. Right. An hour-long back and forth in a self-driving car that you can sleep in or read a book during or even get start on your work for the day ahead of time, uh, it starts to sound a lot less bad. Right, right. And I know people who take the, uh, the um, like, Facebook and Google buses from San Francisco down to Mountain View, which is, like, hour, hour and a half in a bus... Uh, but they have Wi-Fi and they can sleep or work, you know, and they don't mind it. Uh, it'll be a lot like that. I yeah, assume. and if these cars as individual units, you know, uh, the sort of like self-driving taxi model, you know, if if you can fully recline and lie down, say, and like take a nap, I mean, it could be, you know, very pleasant to get right. around. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, that might make people tolerate even longer commutes. I mean, right now in America, I think hour-long commutes are something like 15% of all people, like very few people will tolerate more than an hour commute. But um, you could imagine uh, it could open up a lot of more um, far-flung areas to development. Like you, people might want to live further out in order to get a cheaper, bigger house. Exactly. People will live further from city centers where yeah. there's cheaper real estate because it's not such a big deal to get into the city anymore. Right. And that could change um, development patterns. Which is sort of things. jumping ahead. But actually, yeah. that, that affects, again, this has rippling effects possibly on real estate values for a lot of reasons. But this is one of them, which is that if people can live further away, not just from work. I mean, another thing to bring up is they can live further away possibly from other people they care about. Uh, because right. visiting people is now not as difficult either. Right. Because both you and they have access to easy, flexible transit. Um, it also possibly makes these drives not just uh, less burdensome, but maybe even faster. I mean, at the point that most cars are self-driving, they're going to be a lot more efficient. They're going to use roads a lot better. They're going to you know, eventually be able to sense each other's location. Right. I and mean, so if we they get might the right, literally go faster. Right. If we get the right regulatory response, which we've talked about this, I think, on the podcast before, um, they'll be able to go considerably faster because right now car speeds have everything to do with human reaction times, right? Um, you know, 
we stop you from going faster than 60 or 70 on the highway because at faster speeds than that, uh, you can't react quickly enough to uh, brake in certain situations. Self-driving cars should be limited only by uh, what the computer can safely execute and what uh, doesn't feel too horrible to your body. Because obviously, if you have like any lateral movement at all at too high a speed, like they, you know, with trains, they have to deal with this all the time because they sure. go so fast. You know, uh, you, you can feel sick. So obviously, you don't want the passenger to feel sick and you don't want the car to crash. But as long as the computer can handle the speed and the passenger is okay, then it should be able to go as fast as it can. And uh, on top of that, obviously, once we ban human drivers and everybody's uh, self-driving, then we can get rid of things like lanes and the cars can place themselves at optimal distances and you can use the road much more efficiently and there'll be no traffic jams because the cars will automatically route around them and that sort of thing. Right, which kind of segues into our next topic, right? Which is like, how does this affect uh, literally the the design of cities uh, in particular, um, and roads are a part of that, right? I mean, because, right. you know, th- you could redesign, I mean... Well, so there's like how it could design affect the design of cities, right? Well, yeah, because well, one of the advantages uh, here... Which we should talk about me first, because <laughs> that's more interesting. Yeah, well, because... Or I'm not sure actually what you're going to say. Cause, well, I'm just saying like most cities are pretty dominated by whatever design they were originally designed with, no matter what's going on now. Oh, yes. And this and is so one like, of the benefits of this technology is that it uses existing infrastructure in a place like L.A. Well, like, that right. Very has, car-centric yeah. cities like those in the Western United States are going to find that this is going to work really well for them because it's basically just using their existing technology better or their existing infrastructure better. But, uh, you know, designing a new city from the ground up for the self-driving car is interesting. I think would, is a really interesting thought experiment. That's sort of where I wanted to go with this, which is like obviously it'll affect existing cities in like kind of strange and almost arbitrary ways. Uh, but also, you know, you could imagine a city designed for self-driving cars that would potentially, um, you know, design its roadways and stuff much differently than the way uh, we design cities for humans to get around. So I'm not I'm not sure what that would look like, but it seems like you know the the way an architect or an engineer would design that would be I think different than right. Well, than the here's, cities here that are we, some things that you would do. Yeah. You wouldn't have any garages, right? And you wouldn't have any parking spaces, right? Well, that's so, the next thing. Yeah. So roads would be really narrow, right? Uh, right. You wouldn't have um, parking along the street anywhere because there'd be no reason for that. And instead, you'd have streets that had you know room for the cars and then room for people right you then you probably have like railings um, along all the streets right you so have, that because the cars are moving so fast so fast that you wouldn't yeah. want people going in there so you'd want to grade separate either railings or plants or something yeah, yeah. uh ca- curbs something to keep people off of the car areas uh so that the cars could go maximally fast and then you you might even have like crossovers or something where people could get into a car safely without you know um disrupting the flow of traffic sure uh you might have those so every so often you know, I think you could potentially have a very high density city uh, with this technology in place because it would basically serve as mass transit, whether or not you had uh, an additional mass transit system in place. You know, and if you're building a new city with self-driving car technology, you might choose not to have a separate mass transit system. You might choose to only have one transit system. Um, right. That's sort of the self-driving taxi thing taken which, to the extreme where it's actually like maybe you also have self-driving utility. buses so that the more commonly taken routes are covered by buses and then if you need to go off the route you take one of the cars and that's it that's all you have you know that might work i think you know it depends on the density and you know the capacity you want to serve and everything but it's it's but that sounds like 
it could potentially be a good idea. Right, but let's go back to parking for a second. Cause okay. Because I, I love this. Because there are so many uh, <laughs> parking lots, uh, well, right. so this particularly is way- in this town, that are in like like high in desirable areas that people want to go and it's literally just a plot of land where nothing has been done uh except they pay like you know one guy to stand out there and you know take you know 10 to 20 of your dollars sometimes yeah uh and and it's just literally like they're printing money there and like this business will potentially not be viable at all in this right 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 well that's the thing is like this is a way that it's going to affect existing cities right which is like los angeles is a great example our downtown is like full of parking lots it has skyscrapers and parking lots and right. it's so bizarre. Um, and it, uh, if you haven't been down there, it's a, it's got a really strange feeling where like you can turn your head and it looks like New York on one side and it looks like, you know, uh, the outside of a Walmart on the other side. Um, right now in Los Angeles, I think that per square foot, a parking lot is the most profitable business you can run. I remember seeing that. So like, you know, they... Low overhead and they you pay just us space, make tons of money, and then for yeah, doing you very just little. you just take money from people for putting their car there to be idle, doing nothing while they go and go into business and be waiting for them when they come out. Obviously, overnight, these parking lots could become the least profitable <laughs> land in the area because there's no building or anything on them, so you can't just put in a tenant, right? You can't just like there's no improvements been done, so it's going to actually require, I think, a lot of landowners to improve their their land into a building of some kind that can be used for other purposes. And uh, that's going to be, I think, great for this city because we really have far too much parking here. Well, and a related thing that this makes me think of uh, that almost gives me makes me even feel more gleeful than that uh, is the idea of getting rid of uh, parking tickets, basically, which, is, oh, yeah. which could be a problem, though, because that's a major source right. of income that's, for a lot of cities. That is a really interesting thing. That so is, parking tickets, right, because they're never... They're <laughs> going to still... And traffic uh, tickets are another major source right. of income. Parking tickets and traffic tickets are major sources of income for cities, uh, especially here in California where we have really dumb rules about taxation. And uh, so they really rely on that income. And that income, again, is going to dry up overnight because as soon as you have... Uh, right now, the self-driving cars are not even allowed to speed, right? It's not even possible for them to speed. And of course, they're never going to park. So they're never going to get a parking ticket. Like, I heard somebody talking about this and they were like, if the... If it's, you know, parked and the parking meter goes, it can alert you or something. And I was thinking, why would it park, right? You just send it home. You have it circle the block. It makes no sense. There's no reason for it to ever park, really. Well, especially if on if, the street. If the prediction that we won't be a, so much a car ownership society right. well, comes true. I was true. assuming that we even own the car, right? Then it'll just go pick up somebody it'll else. It'll just go pick up somebody yeah. else. Yeah, but even if you own the car, it seems like you'll basically never need to park it. Um, you could just send it home and then whenever you need it, you can come back. I mean... There be, I guess, certain edge cases where you might need to park for a period of time. But I, I think, you know, right now, the amount of parking that we're providing in cities is assuming that everyone's basically got their own car that they constantly need to park when they're not moving. And we're going to find that there's way more supply than demand uh, and that, uh, that it's literally impossible to ticket these things because as soon as they are illegal in whatever situation they're in, they'll just move <laughs> um, and they'll never get caught. So you can assume that I think cities will try to put fees on these self-driving cars in order to replace that lost revenue. And I think longer term, you're going to start to just see street parking disappear in favor of lanes because it's just a more, it's just a better use of the road at the end of the day. Now, this is a little more of a niche thing, but it's somewhat related is that uh, you could imagine a, a different market appearing uh, in mobile homes. 
uh, where people Which is already a big market, actually, I think it's already a fairly big market. And I think, you know, especially if uh, if it's a difficult economy in the future and it's hard to find work uh, and so many people's belongings now are highly portable in the sense that, you know, you can take your entire library with you and a computer, right, right. you can store stuff in the cloud like you can, you know, if you just had like something the size of a standard mobile home, uh, many people could have all they would generally need to live uh, and travel around. And that might be cheaper. Well, it certainly is cheaper than owning a home uh, in yeah. most cases. And uh, so you could see like a growth of outside of cities of like maybe like more, you know, mobile home parks basically where people mm-hmm. can. But even then too, like you'd be able to like, you know, be, you wouldn't have to park it necessarily. Like it could, it could park illegally. And then when it sees the authorities coming, it could move. It can move. Right. Right. And yeah. like, so I don't know. I just think like, uh, depending on how our economic future turns out, uh, you might make, see people making that choice right. towards like going right. fully mobile with their lives. And this is one thing that makes that a little more feasible, I think, because if you don't have to be behind the wheel all the time. Right. Or you can program it to bring you to where the next job's going to be. You can go to sleep and wake up and you're there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And another element of uh, city design, this is sort of on the other side of things in denser areas where there's already more people is like the question of mass transit, right? Oh, we sort of touched on that, but yeah, you mean like, like, like what, like, Oh, what will the mass transit stick around that exists already? Right, exactly. So, you know, in New York, they have a train system. Here in LA, we have a train system. We have uh, uh, buses and light rail. And uh, what's the value of that? And of course, um, they're building um, a high-speed rail train uh, between here and San Francisco right now. That's, uh, you know, it's inter, you know, it's across the state, but it is still mass transit. And, you know, what's the value of any of that stuff in a world of self-driving cars? And I think there is some legitimate question as to what the value is. I mean, there is, I think, one really good answer, which is efficiency. I mean, if you have a route that's heavily traveled, like a lot of people go from LA to San Francisco every day, it's just more efficient. You can fit so many more people in a train. So like, it makes some sense to have a train that does that. Uh, At the same time, these cars might potentially be able to be very, very efficient themselves. Uh, They might be able to link up uh, uh, or, you know, run onto, uh, sort of go inside of another, go inside of another vehicle. vehicle yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, they, you know, there's things that you could do where you could, if you made the conscious choice, we're going to replace all mass transit with, um, self-driving cars. I think you could do it. You could functionally do it. Um, you might have to like rip the train tracks out of the tunnels and run the cars through the tunnels so that they didn't have to stop at lights or something like that. You know, it's a choice that cities will make. I mean, at the end of the day, I tend to think that self-driving cars actually enhance the value of mass transit because mass transit is about, you know, serving extremely dense corridors. Well, cuz you where can, there's lots you can and lots do of the people connections that are difficult the same now. Like like the parts that the mass transit isn't covering very right, well the last will, be, miles, will right. be covered by the self-driving cars and so right. it enhances they kind of enhance the value of each other right. potentially. Potentially or it just is easier to take the car the whole way. I mean, that's the question and I think Part of it is cost, you know, uh, mass transit is always, you know, subsidized and it's often electrified. It's very cheap. You know, if we're still running gasoline cars, they could potentially be pretty expensive, you know, maybe cheaper than taxis are now, but taxis are many times more expensive than buses now, right? So uh, it could be a cost issue or it could just be um, that it's convenient when going on a more commonly uh, frequented route to go even faster on a train, for example, which can carry more people at once and go faster top speed than than a car ever could. But I don't know. I think it's an interesting question going forward. And one thing I definitely think is that it's going to destroy the political will 
for creating mass transit. <laughs> like as a fan of trains who just sort of like wants one and wants to ride one, regardless of of its you know desirability, uh, I was very happy that they started doing this project uh, here in California recently because I think once you have self-driving cars on the market, at least in America, there's going to be very hard time getting well, new funding for, it, for these. It's so kinds hard of to get those projects done Already, because yeah. you have to, you know, you have to get all the land rights and stuff to build that stuff. And well, you, way before the land rights, you just have to get all the political stuff together, and it's just. I mean, such there's a, a million obstacles. It's such a nightmare. So in this it's country, like if people so can just uh, throw up their like hands and give up on it, and it, and it's being taken care of in some other fashion. I feel then, like if they can say, "Oh, self-driving cars," they're gonna. That's what yeah. they're gonna do. Yeah. So anyway, um, should we talk about fuel? Yeah, so so the last issue we're going to talk about today is uh, the issue of fuel. Now, th- uh, in some senses, this is a totally different issue that we could do a totally different podcast on, but there is some overlap here. So here are some of the places of overlap, I think, in terms of like new types of fuel and efficiency and et cetera, and self-driving cars. Right. Um, for one thing, self-driving cars, as we touched on before, are going to be more efficient than human drivers. So whatever fuel you're talking about... Uh, whether you know right. it's tr- traditional with whatever type of fuel you're talking about. Right. So assume we're talking about gas for a minute. They're going to say. get better mileage with that fuel type. Right. Uh, which is good, but the countervailing trend might be that people actually, because these cars are so easy to get around in, and you can you know sleep in them and watch TV in them, is that people may literally use them more, and that may basically take away all the gains you get in fuel saving by yeah, people simply using them more. Right. So right. I'm on balance. I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. Right. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, we mentioned, I think this is going to reduce the overall like market of car ownership. I think there'll be, you know, uh, fewer people owning cars, but there'll actually be lots and lots of cars, of course, on the road, because we still gonna have all this right, demand. The demand for car usage could go through the roof. So right. uh, because of that, so, we don't w- know. The cars we're going to have are going to be much more efficiently used. They're going to be sitting idle a lot less, but there still might be many, many, many cars. Um, so we may not save fuel on that in that sense. Uh, another place of, of overlap, too, is when it comes to uh, say electric vehicles, right? That right. need to charge. Right. Uh, for a human, you have to remember to charge. You have to keep track of that. You have well, to- there's serious range uh, limitations, at least at this point. I mean, this may get worked out with future battery technology, but at least for the time being, I mean, the absolute best you can do is about 300 miles, and most electric vehicles are under 100. So, whereas, like, yeah, if you that's had not more, practical yeah. for a person who who has to, you know, charge their car at a specific charging location at home or like, you know, few other places. But if they were self-driving cars and they could just roll off the road whenever they got low and charge themselves at any one of many authorized locations, uh, I think electric basically just will work a lot better if it's also self-driving. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. And and coupled with that uh, more distributed sort of taxi model where it's yeah, not really definitely ownership. if if because then it gets ownership then the, they just have a depot or something they go back to the depot to charge when they need you know that seems very simple right because then if you don't have enough charge to get where you're going uh you can hand you off to another car that That's does right. have enough charge while it goes back and charges so, right and that actually even can solve the issue of like you know long haul like say train trips or something like uh la to san francisco which is you know w- over the li- over the range of the longest range electric car, but if you just got handed off four times, and each time it was you weren't waiting for anything. The car that you're going to get handed off for is is waiting for you. Your car pulls up, you get into the other car, it goes. Like it takes ten seconds transfer. That might be good enough for for people. 
Right, so that's uh, yeah. all the uh, consequences of self-driving cars that we could think of. Right, uh, right. We might see this like radically redesigning our cities, um, making basically space way less important than it is now, and we might see it uh, making it a lot easier to transition to electric fuel as well. Okay, thanks for listening. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.